Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gills and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the ocean decade. I'm really excited about this episode. I know I start a lot of podcasts saying that, but this one feels like the perfect culmination of two different conversations I've had recently. Uh, one with Mark Spaulding, the president of the Ocean Foundation, um, on ocean foundations uh, and ocean finance in general. Uh, that podcast was near the end of last year, and it was a fantastic conversation about all things blue economy and finance and how does the Ocean Decade get the funding that it needs in order to be effective. And then another conversation with uh, Yako Stemet from uh, Fugro, the director of Africa at Fugro, about the UN Ocean Decade Africa Task Force. Uh, and so in this episode, I get to kind of combine both. Uh, it's I've found the perfect guest from the perfect foundation to be able to talk a little bit about both of those topics and and more. So ever since I started working on the Ocean Decade, I'd heard a lot about the Mohammed Six Foundation for Environmental Protection and the great work that they do, but it wasn't until the UN Ocean Conference in June of 2022. It's still weird to me that that conference is in the past because it was supposed to be in 2020 and then kept getting pushed. So it's crazy to me that it even was able to happen. But uh, during that conference, I got to meet individuals who work at the foundation. Um, as some of you may know, I helped facilitate one of the sessions at the Ocean Decade Forum that occurred during the UN Ocean Conference and had the pleasure of introducing uh, the director of the Hassan Second International Center for Environmental Training, uh, Amon uh, Jiroke, where he introduced the Buchendel statement during the event um, that I talked about on my podcast with Mark Spalding. So if you want to learn more about that statement, we won't cover it a ton here, but go back and listen to that episode. Uh, that statement, of course, where 18 foundations affirmed their commitment to investing in transformative ocean science for sustainable development. Uh, and I'll have to admit, in researching this podcast, I couldn't help myself. I went back and looked at the video stream that the UN Ocean Decade did of that forum and of myself facilitating, which I don't recommend. <laughs> I don't regularly listen to all of the final versions of these podcasts. I can't watch myself on videos. I can't listen to myself. It's hard. Um, but I went back to that video stream because I remembered a hugely embarrassing moment where I butchered the word Buchnadel. And Eamon and I had practiced it beforehand because <laughs> I knew I was going to screw it up and I still screwed it up. And so the video of me, it, I hope I seem charming, but uh, and you have to love live media because that was live at the time. Um, but I, I completely screwed it up. And so maybe... Uh, if I haven't learned a little bit better than Kenza can help <laughs> correct me going forward. But because of Ama's kindness and hearing about all the exciting work that the foundation was doing for the decade in person, getting to, to learn about it during the UN Ocean Conference, I knew I had to feature them on the, on an episode. And so just figuring out, you know, the right topic because they touch on so many different things. Uh, but this kind of combination of Africa task force and ocean finance, I'm really excited to uh, bring those two topics to to the front of the stage. So I'm really lucky today to be joined by Kenza, who is the partnerships officer responsible for the education for sustainable programs at the Mohammed Six Foundation for Environmental Protection, uh, which I'll let Kenza tell us a little bit more about the foundation and all the fantastic stuff that she does beyond just the work of the foundation. So thank you so much, Kenza, for, for joining me today. 
Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to participate with you today to the episode of the Ocean Decade Show. Tell me, tell the listeners, who are you and what's been your path to work on the Ocean Decade? Sure. Uh, my name uh, is Kenza Kalafi. I'm the Executive Partnership Manager at the Mohamedis Foundation for Environmental Protection. We are a Moroccan NGO presided uh, by Her Royal Highness Princess Lala Asna, patron of the Ocean Decade Alliance. Um, for the foundation, our mission is really to raise awareness through education for sustainable development. We are working uh, with general public from school children to political and economic decision makers, especially including uh, also the private sector. Uh, since uh, its very creation 2001, uh, the foundation has been committed to the safeguarding of coastlines in an inclusive multi-stakeholder approach. Uh, for our path uh, throughout the, the ocean decade, uh, for the foundation, we are working closely with IOC UNESCO uh, through ocean literacy and especially also on the framework, um, I mean, in the framework of the UN decade for ocean science for sustainable development. Uh, we have been committed from the start, from the beginning of the ocean decade during uh, the coordinating phase and to today as partner of the IOC UNESCO. Uh, the foundation is also a member of the Africa Task Force and our objective really is to promote and support the implementation of the UN Decade uh, Science for Sustainable Development in Africa. Early uh, in 2022, we conducted a blue talk with the Embassy of Portugal to help further mobilize stakeholders for the United Nations Conference in Lisbon. We attended also the African Ocean Conference in Egypt and in COP27 last year to work in that direction. We uh, also uh, worked with IOC UNESCO in organizing the second edition of the Foundation Dialogue uh, in the Hassan II Center for Environmental Training, academic branch of the foundation that resulted, and I can recommend, uh, and I can um, mention that you are pronouncing really well today the Buchnadl statement. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> uh, that resulted from this dialogue. Thank you, yeah. you it. Uh, so originally, Eamon wasn't supposed to be the presenter that day. And so when he came as the fantastic replacement, uh, I had to learn how to say his name, which I'm still not sure I was saying completely correctly, because my last name isn't the easiest to pronounce. And I get so annoyed when people say when people don't ask you or say and so we practiced and he was very gracious when I still said everything wrong. But <laughs> No, no, I can confirm that really you pronounce in his name and the book Nadal states more really well today. Fabulous. Um, and yeah, everyone, I'll tell you what she really said after we stop recording. So, <laughs> <laughs> but can you remember? So, I thanks for giving us that great overview of how integral I think I, I don't even think I realized how integral the Mohammed Six Foundation has been in the entire Ocean Decade. But can you remember when this project first came across your desk and your initial thoughts on on this whole crazy Ocean Decade idea? I mean, the foundation uh, did not hesitate for a second when they were asked to join the United Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development, especially at the highest level, but being uh, our president being the patron in the Decade Alliance and the foundation member organization. Uh, this commitment is entirely consistent with the concerns of our foundation since its inception two decades ago. Uh, for example, our first program started with the clean beaches. We had to start somewhere. We quickly and progressively expanded our scope of action to include the coastline. And for the past few years, the seas and oceans 
one of the was one of the foundation key areas of action. Uh, this is really natural for for us. We have 3,500 kilometers of coastline on the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea, and therefore in Morocco. Yeah, in Morocco. Wow. Three, 3,500 kilometers of coastline. Wow. And, and therefore, the challenges of the decay are at the heart of our own challenges at the uh, level of the foundation. And uh, I can add more that the foundation has a vocation to federate and mobilize around our work, around the oceans. Uh, this is a central aspect of our method, given our small size in relation to the scale of environmental issues. So we can become part of an initiative like Dedicate and promote it. We are very happy to do so. And we are extremely pleased to be part of the Alliance and especially about the implementation of Dedicate into Africa as member of the African Task Force. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm learning more about the Africa Task Force and it's been fascinating getting to interview and talk to different people who are involved in, in different pieces of, of that. So how did that come about? Why was that so important for you all to get involved in? As you may know, the Ocean Decade in Africa Roadmap uh, serves as a call for African organizations and individual champions to take the initiative and lead the co-design and co-delivery of the Decade actions. So, um, especially uh, in the framework of the pressing challenges in Africa. The Mohammed Sis Foundation for Environmental Protection has been a foundation member of the task force, is deeply committed to create partnerships and synergies with different spheres of the society that sometimes never meant to sit together. Imagine with me in the same table and around a common thematic. For example, researchers, scientists, public sector, private sector, civil society, and youth stakeholders, the foundation is able through its, its initiative uh, in Africa, in the Mediterranean and Arab world, uh, through the Hassan II Center for Environmental Training to really uh, gather all these uh, stakeholders around the work and action to sustain the ocean. And we are really pleased to play the role as the bridge, as a convener within the task force, uh, the African task force. And we are committed to do that um, in our role. A concrete example is that the foundation is reinforcing its commitment in engaging additional African stakeholders to join the network of the foundations to be part of the philanthropy community. And that is totally aligned with the foundation fundamental mission since its creation two decades ago to federate different stakeholders in an inclusive approach. It's crazy to me to think that 2001 was two decades ago, but it definitely definitely was. Um, and not many foundations, I think, can say, or at least ones that I know of in the U.S. can say that they're presided over by, by royalty. <laughs> so could you tell me a little bit more about how the foundation started and where this idea for having a, an environmental protection foundation uh, began? Sure. Uh, the Mohammedis Foundation uh, for Environmental Protection uh, works to educate and raise awareness on the sea and ocean without exception. Exception. We are working with citizen, public, uh, general public, particularly the youngest amongst them, private sector, administration, academia, and others. The foundation is deeply convinced that everyday environmental education initiatives are essential to immediately implement changes in behavior and lifestyles. It starts. It started with youth two decades ago with programs such as Eco School and Young Reporters for the Environment. It extends to 
public and private sector and local authorities with our flagship program, Clean Beaches, and Plastic Free Seas operation that we are running annually with private sector representatives. It also targets national institutions at the high level by taking part in national debates on ocean and coastlines within the, the Hassan II Center for Environmental Training, which is the academic branch of the foundation. To stimulate all these stakeholders throughout the country, we reward the best initiatives through uh, an operation called Lala Asna Coastal Trophies. Our actions are programmed pragmatic and on the ground to illustrate the merits of action and make an active pedagogy of it. We used really digital channel to leverage this action, notably awareness raising, enabling us to act directly and rapidly through our territory nationwide in Morocco. And more interestingly, to share our actions and experiences with the rest of our, our continent, Africa. Our foundation is resolutely south-oriented, where our know-how is widely disseminated and awaited. And the 2021-2030 United Nations Ocean Decade, which we are fully associated with it, provides a new momentum for our action. Thanks for that uh, that overview. Um, and I think it's really interesting that you've highlighted some of the different things that you've uh funded along the way. And so I, I don't know this. So does the foundation, because it's environmental protection, does it do non-ocean work as well? I'm just curious. Yeah, sure. We are really doing non-ocean uh, work, especially around uh, education for sustainable development about different teams uh, around, for example, biodiversity. As being also uh, the chair of IUCN North Africa, we are really working off on uh, nature outdoors activities, uh, starting from children from 4 to 20 years old. I mean, children not of 20 years old, they are really uh, young adults, but we are supporting them, raising capacity, uh, building capacity on different thematic of sustainable development. Yeah. And so because, you know, you've been so focused on youth for so long too, and you started two decades ago, some of the, you know, young people who you started with back then, you know, just thinking of where they are now must be so exciting to get to see that, you know, influence that the foundation is able to make from, from young ages. Yeah, definitely. We are, uh, uh, when I was uh, having uh, the chance to work really on the field with students from uh, the age of uh, uh, 12 to 20 years old, I had the pleasure to meet two ladies, a lady that I can, for example, share with you uh, really briefly the story. She was a young reporter for the environment in one of our region, South region in Morocco. And today she is working at the foundation. She has really a, a, a a good academic uh path. She was really uh, working on environmental issues, uh, especially a uh, uh, solution-oriented approach. Uh, she was part and designated in one of the uh, pedagogical committee of our initiatives, and she has been selected by uh, really experts in that field to be part of our national committee. And today she is working as my colleague in the foundation. So this story uh, is started 15 years ago, and today she is one of my colleagues. So intergenerational aspect is here. Uh, really, uh, building capacities is also uh, on the stage, and uh, and uh, really uh, empowering and elevating youth voices uh, is an illustration of uh, this uh, story. That's a, thank you for sharing that story. That's a fantastic example, and I think of why capacity building funding in particular is so important because you know it's not like 
scientific research where you can then go report that we collected this much data and did this much stuff, which all is very important too. But then it's these things like this where you're able to, you know, make an influence and help regions lift themselves up, help help people lift themselves up. And that's why I think the work that you all do and th- this focused in, in Africa with the Ocean Decade is so, so monumental and is really going to help make sure that uh, the ocean that we have in 2030 is different than the one we, we started with. Definitely, yes. So do you fund all over the world or is a lot of the funding work for the foundation focused in Africa just naturally? Or I'm curious of what your kind of portfolio of uh, work geographically looks like. I mean, geographically, uh, for the foundation, we are working nationally at uh, the Kingdom of Morocco. The main main uh, activities are here in Morocco, but also we have, as I said, the continental cooperation with many African uh, countries uh, to support all the, uh, of its activity. Uh, the, the foundation relies on governance based on a multi-actor public-private partnership, as I said, at the national level. And uh, we are committed uh, for the African uh, and the Global South, particularly uh, uh, African countries within our uh, program and initiative. And the added value of the foundation is beyond really bringing expertise and the right pedagogical tools, as important as these are. It's also in mobilizing and facilitating a network of resources and stakeholders. I would like to uh, share with you uh, one of the initiatives that the foundation is doing uh, within uh, the fighting against plastic pollution. Uh, Please, yeah. Which is really essential for our coastline here in Morocco, uh, the coastline cleanliness and protection. And uh, the, this operation really covers uh, 100 beaches around Morocco. Uh, just to give you some indicators, uh, this fighting against plastic pollution initiative consists of annually uh, gathering 10 tons less plastic trash per beach. Uh, we are conducting with our partners annually uh, from the 15th of June until the 15th of September, which is really uh, equivalent to the summer season here in Morocco, uh, about 40,000 environmental awareness actions. and. Uh, with the supports and uh, really a gathering of 2 million youth that are here participating in all these activities in the field, on the ground, and also digitally. And all the plastic waste that is collected is really reprocessed by industrial units in a voluntary way in a circular economy uh, approach uh, that this operation has developed since its launch, the first edition in 2019. That's fantastic. Is there a good amount of ocean literacy amongst Moroccan youth? Or is that something that, you know, when you bring them to the ocean that they have to be, you know, taught what things are a little bit? Yeah, totally. The vision of the foundation is not just, uh, um, I mean, uh, centralized or focus on its, all its activities uh in the school, but also uh, formal and non-formal education. For ocean literacy, it's not really a a subject within the national curriculum, but the foundation, uh, within its uh, strategic partnership with the Ministry of Education, we are doing uh, extracurriculum activities, uh, training teachers, and helping them support uh, and link ocean literacy subjects within the subjects that are uh, that you can find in curriculum. Let me give you an example uh, for for the Arabic language, for example. Uh, if you have a reading, a text that our students are reading in uh, one of the levels of primary school, we are training 
the teacher to find the link with ocean literacy and implement subject, uh, for example, reading a text on ocean literacy in Arabic. So we are really supporting our teachers to raise awareness of our students, the next generation, in formal education and in non-formal education as the initiative uh, that I just shared with you uh, in the Moroccan beaches. That's fantastic because in including it in schools and out of schools just to have that balance. Um, I had this funny interaction a couple months ago where we had some youth come to my my day job and was talking to them a little bit about the ocean. And uh, I'm an ocean scientist, marine scientist trained background, but I am a social scientist by training and so don't know or don't remember a lot about the biology of some things. And these students who were from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is not a coastal city, but it's a Georgia's a coastal state. Um, they, had, and they were in, I think, seventh or eighth grade, um, 13, 14 years old. And I brought up the idea of, of plankton, phytoplankton, of being, you know, major oxygen producers and carbon dioxide sinks. And they had never heard of phytoplankton. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and they then started asking me a lot deeper questions about plankton that I could not answer. <laughs> and I felt really bad for uh, not being able to give them more information. But just... I think those of us who work in the ocean field real, don't realize how much others aren't aware or don't know because it's just so ingrained in how we think. Um, so it's it's great that you're able to bring that formally and informally uh, with with the work that you do. Yeah, I, I totally agree about your uh, what you are just saying. Uh, in the foundation, we are really uh, convinced that we are we are not dealing only with experts. We have people that do not do not know about the SDGs, for example. We have some teachers that do not know about SDGs as and, until today. So we are really working on raising capacity and uh, I mean raising awareness and building capacities. And for students, what we are doing in order to really simplify the, the scientific aspects, especially within the framework of our ocean literacy programs, is that we are using games. We are using the same language as the, the, the students. I mean, th these, these young people, they need to uh, really uh, uh, feel that they can understand. And we think that uh, using pedagogical tools that are uh, uh, oriented toward games it is really essential to uh, transmit these uh, messages. Yeah, and making sure that, you know, they can get these messages in their own language too. And that is is so crucial, even though, you know, everything is... <laughs> I always feel a little handicapped that uh, I don't know another language in depth, but having the duality of, you know, being able to have some in Arabic and have some in English uh, and, and more, you know, is probably really helpful. Exactly, yes. Because we are in an international world, um, whether we like it or not. So I want to talk a little bit more about the Africa Task Force overall and the role that you all play within this. So how did, you know, you've been integral in the whole Ocean Decade, but how did you get involved with this task force in particular? Yes, the, the Mohammedis Foundation for Environmental Training has been designated to be part of the African Task Force. Uh, we uh, had the pleasure uh, to be uh, and to host the the second dialogue of the foundations uh, that resulted in the Bukhdadl statement. And one of the commitments of the foundation was to uh, engage more stakeholders to join the network of the philanthropic community. And from that, uh, we have been more 
uh, engaged and committed to be part of this dynamic and be member experts of the African task force. So has there been meetings yet of the task force? Has it start? Is it just started? Is it where? Where is it going? Uh, what's the kind of end goal of this work? I mean, we uh, the it's uh, just starting, but the dynamic of all the members of and the experts that are composing this task force is really uh, uh, evident. I, we are having uh, meetings yeah, with IOC UNESCO that are leading IOC Africa that are also leading this task force. And the main idea is that the foundation is engaged and would like to add more African stakeholders. Uh, as I said uh, before, uh, our role really uh, in the foundation is to be the bridge and the convener of uh, multi-stakeholder, um, I mean, fora and thematics uh, toward uh, in the implementation of, of the, the, the ocean decade. Yes. Yeah. And that's such a crucial role to play those connections. You have local connections in that. Um what, where do you think, and this is a little bit philosophical <laughs> compared to the other questions, but, um, you know, we're in the th third year somehow of the ocean decade, which is crazy. So what are some of the priorities and where do you think Africa is headed in general in regards to the ocean decade? What are some of the big priorities that are coming up with the task force? What, what do they want to focus on? Where does, you know, Africa want to be by 2030? Yes, um, I would like just to highlight uh, uh, and give a context contextualization of this African uh, Ocean Decade roadmap uh, because it is necessary to, to 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 say that I need to summarize uh, many years of work. Uh, it started in 2018 uh, uh, during the preparatory phase of the Ocean Decade, and the development really of this African roadmap draws on a regional gap analysis that was was completed in 2021 and a series of online multi-stakeholder workshops in early 2022. And uh, the feedback collected highlights nine priority future decade actions that Africa needs to uh, uh, confront and challenge, and mainly about scientific, regional scientific gaps, capacity development needs, and cross-cutting priorities. Um, these targeted and tangible uh, nine priorities uh, for uh, the implementation of the African roadmap, they need to, to foster ideas, catalyze partnership, and especially stimulate commitment to embark all together to the co-design of decade program and projects. And uh, I think that the, the main challenge is the capacity development and cap of the 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 need of the I mean the, the the stakeholders in Africa. Yeah, that's one of the biggest. It, it, I've talked to a lot of people who are either doing work in Africa or who have worked in Africa with the Ocean Decade. And, you know, the issue of, you know, the best and the brightest of people from these countries and going and studying other places and then not coming back. And then just all of these issues that I think the Ocean Decade can provide a really central organizing principle around with this focus of, you know, SDG 14 and, um, you know, the ocean's so interconnected to everything that we do. Like, like you said, you do work on the land side too, and it all can come together around the ocean. And it's so, such an important cultural part of a lot of our lives too. So it's, oh, I get all misty eyed thinking about it in big terms sometimes <laughs> versus the last episode that I did, uh, did of this podcast was talking about, um, 
ocean observations and biomolecules. And so this is, this is, I love changing the pace and getting to talk about big, grandiose things and thoughts. And um, yeah, that's why I love doing this podcast, balancing the, the minute with the, the, you know, broad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And I would like also to highlight that uh, the foundation, uh, we have been uh, happy to engage in uh, the second edition of the dialogue. But just uh, for your information, uh, we were the only African uh, foundation that was part of this dynamic. And this is why it was really important and urgent to engage more African stakeholders in this momentum. And um as you know, the Global South tends to be really uh, deeply underrepresented in this type of dialogues. And uh, we are here really to, with the help of IOC, UNESCO, and all the partners on board to, to work on that and elevate the voices and the stakeholders from the Global South. Yeah, it bringing the ability to have these voices brought to the table. And then your what you just said popped another question into my mind about other African foundations, and I don't really know much about the, the landscape of philanthropy in, in Africa, but how are, are there a lot of foundations? Should there be more of them than just you at these conversations? I think definitely yes. They need to ha- they need to be more African uh, representation in this kind of dialogue. They are really, uh, um, I mean, a platform of. You cannot imagine uh, the pitches that were uh, ongoing uh, during the 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 the, the, the second di- uh, dialogue of the foundation in the Hassan II International Center for Environmental Training. Imagine that 17 philanthropic foundation that has that have signed the Buknadel statement were all united three days during three days united by the ocean uh, we uh, considered regional context through region focus sessions we uh, worked on the co-design the uptake of ocean science uh, we considered and scaled up clearly in our minds financing technology innovation for the ocean decade and I think that uh, the capacity development communication science marine pollution and all these topics need to be also uh, from the perspective of these African actors and stakeholders that need to be around the table. Yeah, it's it's unique to get any sort of consensus among, when, when you get two people in a room, you probably don't have consensus. And so finding, you know, bringing more voices in brings more challenges, but that's the only way to move forward because all of these are multi-stakeholder problems um, that we need uh, lots of smart people to help address. Sure, sure. I was like uh, last week giving a lecture on the ocean literacy based on the practical example of what the foundation is doing in Morocco. And uh, one of the the interaction with the audience was to... about the ocean literacy taking into consideration the geographical and cultural settings. Uh, Why? Because I was confronted... uh, some years ago uh, to a student uh, age of uh, 11 years 11 years old saying that I'm um, I'm in an inland side area so I'm not impacting the ocean so he didn't think that he impacted the ocean because he didn't live right by the ocean exactly so 
it is really important to take into consideration the cultural and geographical setting of this audience, of our target. Because just an example of an 11 years old student that for him is not really impacting the ocean at all. So we need really to simplify and raise awareness about these problems. And I think that taking into consideration the African specificities is really important in implementing this roadmap. It's so important. And knowing that, you know, we've been using the word, you know, Africa to describe all of this, but that's such a vast (laughs) continent with so many countries and so many different perspectives, some inland and people who've probably never seen the ocean and then Morocco, which is a beautiful coastal country, you know, so that diversity and making sure that people inland, I I was born uh, inland in the United States, not in a coastal area at all. And so growing up in the desert, I didn't understand how I impacted the ocean or it impacted me, but that kind of uh, making sure that you reach those inland areas and explaining to them why it's so crucial is um, totally underrated, I think, and really great that you're uh, getting to address some of that work too with this. Thank you. So you've been very involved personally too in the ocean decade. So do you have any favorite memories of your work thus far? Any presentations you've given that you've loved? Any, you know, meetings that you've had that you thought were really productive or interesting? I mean, uh, I will I will have a special talk to my colleague from IOC UNESCO and the whole team from IOC UNESCO, uh, Alison. And uh, the memory that I... My, what, I love yeah, Alison. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the favorite memories was the organization of the second edition of the Foundation Dialogue. Uh, in the in the Buknadl uh, area uh, where I'm also working, and uh, why? Uh, simply because we were 17 foundations from different continents. Do you imagine gathering people from different continents in one room, uh, sharing our Moroccan culture, sharing our uh, examples, what you are doing in Morocco about uh, the sustaining ocean. Because it was hosted in Morocco, yes? Yeah, exactly. It was hosted in Morocco in the Hassan II International Center for Environmental Training that was inaugurated by Her Royal Highness Princess Allah Asna Pratron of the Ocean Decade Alliance. And I think it is one of my favorite memories because um, hearing the pictures of all these specialists, these experts, uh, was amazing, first of all. Second, um, it is really a, an alive benchmark. I, I, I was having one of our interns uh, working with me at the foundation, and he was telling me, uh, Kenza, it is really a, a benchmark that is alive. Uh, many experiences that were shared, uh, and finally, we are we are all in one in one word and sharing the same issues and i like the word that was also uh, mentioned many times is the word global global and mixed with local we are <laughs> really i i love this word because we are uh, sharing the same issues and m- meanwhile we are living in different continents yeah and especially after you know the decade started, the first few years were all virtual. And so I, I can imagine just the joy of having everyone together. And oh, it's it, it's so English for us to like, of the English language to put words like that together. Yeah. But I'm glad that you find it. I love um, it. This word, inspiring. I love it. That's yeah. so great. We'll have to come up with an Arabic um, yeah. equivalent. It's <laughs> really, really difficult to find one. <laughs> I, I bet. Um <laughs> So going back and thinking about the ocean decade overall, 
you know, so I, I asked this question to everyone and people have uh, either have an answer off the top of their heads or they're like, oh, this is difficult. And why do you ask this to me? But like for you, what do you think would be a quote successful decade by the time that we reach 2030? You know, what metrics will we have hit? What will we have achieved? What could could happen? You know, it can you can be as philosophical or as specific as you want for you to look back and say, yes, this was a successful decade of time. Um, you may think that I'm a, I am a dreamer, but uh, for me, the, a decade characterized by global impact, a decade that promotes the emergence of a wide stakeholder engagement network that work regionally, locally, continentally, internationally to co-design and co-deliver the innovative science we need uh, to improve the management of our our, uh, sustainable ocean uh, with approaches that are adapted to geographical and cultural settings. A decade that is not only about increasing awareness on the state of the ocean, but is also about providing the tools, the tools to allow people understand, transform ocean knowledge into actions that promote ocean sustainably. This is my really definition for a successful decade. And I don't think that's dreaming at all. I think that that's super, you know, it's what we need and it's providing this level of interconnectivity and it's you know, what we need to achieve, or at least, you know, be well, well, well on our way by 2030. Because I think that, you know, these last few years have given more challenges than we could have envisioned, but there's still been, you know, you still hear new investments, new announcements of new Ocean Decade programs and activities, and things are still happening, which is, I think, really rare in a decade-long effort. Like, I, I was a little nervous that, you know, all the excitement would peter off after the first few years, but I can only feel it getting broader and stronger. Exactly, yes. I think that uh, the, the the momentum is here. The synergies are, are, are here. Uh, we are uh, signing in uh, the coming weeks a partnership with IOC UNESCO to further implement the ocean decade in Africa, ocean literacy, uh, really yeah, sharing our experiences uh, within uh, the network, especially as being uh, a coastline uh, country uh, located in Africa, also uh, with the opening uh, of Morocco uh, in the Atlantic and Mediterranean areas and all the work that we are doing uh, with the African countries and the Muslim world and especially uh, in the upcoming COP28 that is uh, also a really a milestone in our work the coming the, in the coming uh, the coming year yeah and you again will have the benefit of a short shorter flight <laughs> to cop 28 um because it's still in your relative geographically neck of the woods versus i had a long trek from dc to to charm last year and then we'll, <laughs> we'll see about this year <laughs> yeah long hours but really uh, interesting uh, interesting cup uh, we we did a really uh, interesting activities on ocean finance with IOC UNESCO a side event in the Moroccan pavilion and it was really amazing to see all these people interested to 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 see what what we are doing I loved the Moroccan pavilion we, we what I bet you and I like walked past each other in, at cop and didn't even know it and <laughs> yeah I'm sure of that I'm sure of that yeah it was a it was a crazy fantastic time um yeah and yeah this year will be if the you know uae pavilion at last year's cop was anything to (laughs) compare to what their cop will be like this year it's gonna be crazy 
Ah oui, ah yes, ah yes, I'm, uh, I definitely, uh, I'm sure of that. Digitally, uh, in terms of digital uh, representation and promoting of their activities, I think it will be really uh, a digital COP28. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Hopefully, the Wi-Fi is a little better. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we've gone over why ocean philanthropy is so important. But what would you like people to take away from this conversation about why you know ocean-specific funding is so important and why it's such a, a keystone of what you do? I mean, uh, to, to, to respond to, to this specific question, I would like to highlight and share the experience of the foundation uh, in that regard. Uh, in the 20 years of its existence, uh, we benefited from the philanthropy of other foundations uh, for its programs, whether internationally or from our country, the Kingdom of Morocco. And we have always appreciated the support, the support of uh, other philanthropic foundations. Uh, for our continent, Africa, we are working in two directions, to carry out the considerable effort that must be made in favor of the oceans. First, we are organizing ourselves to be able to receive philanthropy from the countries of the North when it comes our way. We, for example, organize and gather the youth. We bring them together into networks. And uh, I would like to share the initiative of the African Youth Climate Hub uh, and above all uh, to give them, uh, I'm sorry, to help them define what they need. It is a meeting point for philanthropy. And we are the bridges to support youth. The second is that we compensate for the lack of philanthropy by mobilizing all stakeholders in a one, uh, I mean, to, to, to convene them around the same table, the same thematics. And uh, we are, uh, it is necessary, we need means and philanthropy, but above all, we need really to move forward. This is my message. Yeah, and I think the, a lot of people think about philanthropy in terms of just like giving money, but I think that the, organizing and the bringing people together and the facilitating are skills that not everyone has and that not everyone recognizes the importance of that, that we would not have a successful decade without uh, the brilliant facilitation and people hurting of so many great people like you. Um, exactly. So where can the audience go to learn more about the Mohammed Six Foundation for Environmental Protection and your work on the Ocean Decade? Um, we have a dedicated website uh, of the Mohammed VI Foundation for Environmental Protection. Uh, if I can share with you the link, it's www.fm6e.org, uh, as well as uh, you can find within the, the, the dedicated website the link to access to the website of the Hassan II International Center for Environmental Training, when you can see all the initiatives and the work of the foundation on the ocean decade. Well, Kenza, thanks for being such a fantastic guest today and uh, sharing all of this great information. I feel like I've learned a lot more and really appreciate the work that you all are doing. And let me know if uh, you want to feature another specific thing, talk about anything else on the podcast in the future. I am here at your disposal to help with the great work that you're doing. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to share what we are doing and the practical example of the work of the Mohammed VI Foundation for Environmental Protection under the presidency of Her Royal Highness Princess Lala Asna, this is patron of the Ocean Decade Alliance. Thank you for being so kind and uh, I love to talk to you. Uh, hope for a next episode of the Ocean Decade Show. Let's do it again sometime soon and thank you all for listening and we'll see you next month. Bye.